Welcome to the Circle of Birth podcast. I'm your host and advocate, Ali Kranz. These podcasts are here to gather stories, people and information to better our understanding of the wisdom of birth and how we can reclaim our connections to birth from conception and beyond. You will hear stories not only from Australia but from all over the world, bringing together women, partners, midwives, doulas and all the people that have a birth story to share. So jump right in for this next Circle of Birth story. Welcome to episode 32 and I have found my voice <laughs> and I do hope you will go and listen to episode 31, uh, part one, if you haven't listened to this episode as it will flow on better for you. Um, so we, we go for another hour. Um, it's quite unbelievable how much we could really talk and talk about this and it just goes to show um, it really needs to be talked about and I had so many questions and I had to really just sort of not ask as much because I got a bit too excited but all in all this podcast really heads into connectivity, community, supporting each other, um, finding that really important middle ground and over these two episodes I really felt that I connected to our own birth imprints, how this plays into our children's birth and then eventually our parenting and from then on in. So I've, you know, sat with a lot of things here and we talked right again from the sort of patriarchal influence to breastfeeding and more on Robin's story. He went into his story with his daughter's birth at home and just a really interesting sort of up and down lead around of conversations around birth and community and and his interpretation of that. So I do hope you enjoy this next part. Thank you so much for listening. This is really, really important and I'm just honoured to share this. And so in when, when my daughter was, was born in the lounge room, going back to the lounge room, um, some of the species that I have to tell you were very helpful to all of us and particularly helpful to me were uh, a cat, uh, a kookaburra and a possum because um, I'm, I'm easily reached through, uh, through my sense of humor. It helps me enormously and um, it really helps me when things are brought down from the sublime to the earthly you know to mm. down to down to the soil down to the you know the uh, the gutter of, of of real life i think you coined uh, it universal cosmic laughter i can remember oh right? okay yeah um, yeah like that. well that that was definitely part of it which yeah. is wonderful i really we, liked it because i just said oh yeah i find every humor and everything where everything's funny and then you were like yeah universal cosmic laughter or something and i was like that's perfect <laughs> yeah it really doesn't it doesn't help to be grandiose you know when, when you you know when you brought down to you know look this is as ordinary as as any fleshly thing and and um you know, it's messy. Actually, childbirth is 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 bloody messy, ordinary. You're not the first person to to be involved in it. It's been happening to every you know mammal, and um, since the dawn of time. Uh, and don't get too grandiose about it. Don't start playing harps with the angels, okay? Because this is <laughs> this is real life. And I actually find that you know wonderfully helpful. And 
my daughter was born not in our own house, but in the lounge room of some uh, friends who were um, who generously let us have their house while they were um, uh, interstate for a while. And um, you know, their house was fantastic because it's in uh, surrounded by magnificent trees. But you know, the lounge room overlooks the ocean. And there is something about, and we live in the northern beaches of Sydney, and there is something about the ocean or water. And I'm not going to be able to properly put into words, I don't think, but a lot of people have that feeling of childbirth is an attraction to water. There's something about it. We go back to our fish uh, uh, primal, primordial origins in a sense. And um, it does something to you to see the ocean. Um, don't worry. I'm not saying that everyone must do the, must do it the same way. They work for us, yeah. and uh, I hear a lot of people say that. And so we were in this lounge room overlooking the ocean. It was nighttime, and um, so of course my friend's got a bunch of cats, which you shouldn't have when you're surrounded by native bushland. But he he does. What's a, how much is a bunch of cats? He uh, I think at last count there was about five of them. Okay. And uh, but you know. F- Four of the cats weren't particularly interested. The old cat, Alistair, his name was Alistair, and he was a, a wise old cat. And he was right into the whole thing. And I, I, I'm forever grateful to Alistair because he, you know, it's kind of like a manger. It reminds me of the Jesus story. You know, there was, you know, they had a cow and a donkey nearby and a sheep and it it, it it was manger-like. It was ordinary and marvelous. We were on the carpet, all of us, and this cat was draped over a chair just watching the whole thing with, you know, those wonderful, that, that baleful kind of semi-bored yeah, look I've that cat yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, they don't get particularly excited until yeah. mealtime, meal you know. Yeah. Uh, so he's just looking at it going, oh, yeah. Yeah. I know what this is. I've seen that hundreds of times. I'm not sure what they're so, you know, intense about. It's a mammal being born. And so he was casually interested, you know. And occasionally I'd look at Alistair and, and, and it really reminded me, he reminded me of the uh, sublime ordinariness of it all and how it's not I, it's us. Yeah. It's the whole story. It's all of all of humanity, yeah. as it's been done and will continue to be done, and um, and not just humanity, but all of our animal ancestors. And that was just a magnificent uh, <laughs> touch, old bloody Alistair on the chair, and then um, and then of course uh, our wonderful Australian king of laughter, the cooker. We had a one-eyed kookaburra that <laughs> appeared in the morning. My daughter was born at five thirty. Uh, the sun was born around the same time, you know, the sun on the, over the uh, eastern horizon in Sydney. And, um, of course, the, this kookaburra with one eye came and And uh, you, you can't take yourself seriously when you when a one-eyed so kookaburra. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love, you know, the, the, the songbird sounds of Australia prevent us from – taking ourselves seriously at all because it's either going to be a kookaburra laughing or or a parrot squawking. Walking, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, right, there's nothing grandiose there. It's kind of like, yep, 
Um, they sound like drunken wharfies in a pub. Yeah. Um, and then, and then the, the possum walks by and um, has a look in through the through the uh, open door in in the balcony. He jumped in off and then got for a tree and takes a look for a while and sniffs and then walks off on his merry way, thinking, "Yeah, I know what that's all about. Been there, done that." Uh, just the inclusion. Inclusion of our um, non-human family, the, uh, yeah. was um, healing, empowering, good. It just it feels good. It feels good. Mm. You know, the the trees were swaying. It, it, it's uh, part of it all. Yeah, part of the the kind of the music of life. Really, mm. um, I, I really like that. And and I'm I'm you know then when I think of uh, a, 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 you know, a, a labor ward with what is it? What do they have in their tiles on, on the wall? And people that look like aliens mm. speaking through masks and rubber gloves, the snap of rubber gloves and the, 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 the tinkering of metal mm-hmm. uh, and whatever the disinfectant smells are. It's a. Uh, it's a solitary confinement from the um, the well-being of natural uh, the natural world, and I, I, you know it's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong to do that. Mm. It's just a great, great wrong upon humanity. Now, I do understand sometimes intervention needs to happen, but you know, no one is ever going to convince me that it needs to be the way that we do it or the sheer amount to which we uh, medically intervene. I was just thinking, you know, it's so close to death, yeah. birth. I, I know with my own daughter who was the same, she was born at home and it was all quiet and peaceful and one of the things that came into my head not long after her birth was like this is how we should die. This is how we should be honoured to die this way. We should be able to have the avenue to die this way and that really stuck with me and it's just it's so close those experiences i really think so i really think so i i I hear you there there is like kind of this um difficult to explain but intuitively we feel you know some kind of connection between those two ends of life and um uh, for, for sure, and there's been a clinicalization at both ends. Um, although one thing that gave me a little bit of comfort is that um, both of my parents died, and um, my wife's parents died. All four of them died over the last, I think, seven or eight years, one after the other. And I found that the treatment of death is getting a little better. Um, I was surprised in a pleasant way. Yeah, yeah. Um, that even in hospitals, there's a. Um, I, I actually felt um, included and held, and um, uh, it felt quite respectful. Mm. I'm I'm grateful for that end of things. Even in a hospital, yeah, I I I like how quite a lot of it was done. You know. Mm. Um, I have some high hopes for that. And I'm sure that there's even better things that we can do. Um, I yeah. have high hopes for birth too. 
Yeah. All the in between. Well, there, there, there are some good things to read. There's, uh, I wanted to tell you about the um, Primal Health Database, it's called. Primal okay. Health Database. Um, the obstetrician, famous obstetrician, Michel Audin, the French uh, obstetrician, legendary guy, a massive um, campaigner and reformist for natural childbirth. And he and he got together a team of experts and provided an incredibly powerful database. They collect every little piece of scientific research and social scientific research about how birth affects every aspect of human functioning, even 50 years after birth. And so you can the, – the, the database is really helpful because there's a search field. You can search – about everything, how childbirth can potentially influence all kinds of stuff. Um, eating disorders, diabetes, mental health issues, depression, all kinds of uh, a huge A to Z of stuff. So if you do a, a keyword search, uh, primal health database, and primal health is a term coined by Michelle Adon. It just means um, uh, primal meaning, you know, the the first thing, the basic, mm. right, the start of life, prenatal uh, and, uh, and perinatal. He's an amazing, yeah. and and he he's one of the things that Michel Adon um, articulates really really well is how transformative it would be for society should we address childbirth far more naturally than we do and give it back to women. Yeah. And that that's just – it's going to do far more than just make childbirth a happier time. It has an impact on every other aspect of social functioning. Yeah. It would literally, literally alter, transform the way our society works, mm. right? I, did, I, I would say that in our wholeness as our own bodies and our health too, with especially with disease management and um, the health system is that we need to take back – our birth, our bodies, um, and take responsibility for our decisions and inform ourselves in that way. Um, yeah, and look, I am no feminist at all, and I refuse to consider myself as one. I'm, I'm not a ist of any kind. I believe in the balance. But this is a feminist issue, right? Because there's no – some things are for men. This thing is for women. It's supposed to be women in charge of the own of your own bodies, your own destiny in childbirth, and 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 the education should come mostly from women. Occasionally, there are men that are very gifted in that area, but you know, you've got to pass a few tests first. Mostly, as women, and um and the whole politic, the whole politic of childbirth that needs to go completely back to women. Yeah. Right, I, I do think that that should be, you know, the number one feminist issue. It's not that the other feminist issues aren't important, but you know, yeah. if you think that there aren't women in in a boardroom and that that's a bad thing, you know, there's no women running birth. I mean, the very bottom line of life. That's you know, that's insane. That is insane. It's an insane state of affairs. Mm. I'm just 
thinking of a line in your book that stuck with me about judgment, um, the heart-to-heart parenting. Maybe we can talk a bit about that too. Uh-huh. Uh, that's your second publication. Your first one was Parenting for a Peaceful World. Yes. Yes. Um, the judgment of being a parent. Um, I should do this. I should do that. Your child should sleep this long. Um, your child shouldn't be wearing that sort of stuff. You shouldn't be eating that food. Um, you know, goes on and on and on that you're just so clouded with guilt and all sorts of feelings. And I'm just resonating again with how similar it is to parenting birth, your body. And as a female, um, as soon as you become pregnant, um, it's on, you know, you're barraged with what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing. And, Again, it's just so vital that we can reclaim back our decisions and our intuitive ability to listen to our body. Um, and again, I've talked to so many people on these this podcast and it's all coming back to just like you said, that we need to reclaim this space and find deep within our in- intuition and guide from there. And we shouldn't create this bubble of judgment and am I doing the right thing am I not doing the right thing clouds of doubt when um you know we are completely cosmic and you know I I I feel sometimes we put so much stock into science to this point where it's so much nicer to say that the dolphins come and celebrate birth because that's what they do because they're like these rainbow magical creatures that are a part of this world as opposed to they're picking up on a you know, 20th decibel of like your vibrational energy and blah, 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 blah. Um, And it just ruins that connection for us inwardly and what we truly feel that it could be and the the story and the... Yeah, I mean, there is something that when when we compulsively reduce things to, you know, hormones and and megahertz, that has an impact of removing the... um, the emotion around it, yeah, yeah. and um, you know, it, it's it's only to reduce things to you know quantifiable little measures is useful for some purposes, but um, and fair enough. But it, it's it um, we need the poetic. Yes, our hearts function differently. Yeah, we need the stories. <laughs> surrender to that poetic um, languaging. It is helpful to have scientific information and at, at the same time there's other state in, in which we need to not have things language scientifically all the time but sometimes we need to be able to drop into the emotional that feeling state yeah of course and yeah. um and it, yeah it's it's like there's two gears and the problem is when we get stuck in one side or the other yeah yeah. Um, but to have a fluidity between the two, that that's for me, that feels really, really necessary. Like when I wrote my first book, Parenting for a Peaceful World, I wasn't going to say anything that couldn't be backed up by either science or history or anthropology. Um, uh, so you'll, if you look at that book, that was it's got a huge bibliography, mm-hmm. um, and that appeals to me. I, I I need that. I hunger for the scientific side of things. And then when I've been in there too long, I realize that I'm going very dry and I need to get out of there and come back to the poetic and the musical uh, ways of expression, 
where I'm just happy that the dolphins came and I don't give a damn if they came because of the kilowatts or the megajoules or who gives a shit about it. You know, I, I'm in love with these dolphins and they came and it feels very special, you know, and and you you can't, you can't, you can't let down into these kinds of delicious feelings of life. If you keep on going up into your head or every single time and quantifying the hell out of everything. But both of those states I think are, are important. And so therefore for, for new parents, um, it's both. It's having the support and the help to, Tap into your intuition, what your body's telling you, and and learning how to trust those deeper signals that come from inside you, so that you're more capably able to filter cultural information and decide what you want and what you reject. So that's one. And on the other hand, we, there is a place for advice, advice from elders, um, a helpful thing. The way I think of it is this, we are instinctual creatures, but because we're very sophisticated animals, our instincts don't just come out. We're not like spiders where you just automatically know how to weave the perfect web and nobody had to teach you. If you think about it, with all of the important things of life, we have the instinct that is like the fuel that makes us want to go there. But we're kind of hopeless unless we learn from each other. We, we're social animals. We, we, we take instruction from each other. When you think about it, that applies to lovemaking. We, we continue to be you know, more tuned in to lovemaking the older we get. It's a learning process. So there's a lot, all kinds of room for communication and advice. Breastfeeding. You know, I tell you what, if, if advice about breastfeeding stops, it's going to die, no matter how instinctual it is. There needs to be elder women who, um, who give tips and hints on how it can go easy. You know, uh, quite a bit of breastfeeding failure happens because there wasn't good advice and not just advice but the emotional support of elder women. So, uh, and because breastfeeding was almost completely killed around the globe by the commercialization, the commercial interests of baby formula companies, extremely powerful pharmaceutical companies, super powerful, they murdered breastfeeding around the world. It almost had gone completely by the 60s and 70s. Um, So, there was no elders left, no grandmothers that knew how to teach daughters and no there was no more aunties left that could teach daughters how how to approach breastfeeding it's instinctual but you still need the advice yeah you do and the encouragement and, <laughs> and the encouragement the normalization the support yeah. when when it's tiring yeah. the holding the massage the 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 song the song of the aunties the song of the grandmothers you take them out breastfeeding will gradually die and it almost entirely did. And then the Western world panicked because we realized uh, that uh, as a global experiment to remove breastfeeding from hum- the human species and replace it with an artificial formula, that was causing an um, epidemic of all kinds of health hazards, including diabetes. 
So, you know, the World Health Organization and lactation experts, all the people that understand why breastfeeding is utterly impossible to replace properly with a formula. They panic and they say, we've got to bring this back and they're finding very hard. They've had to invent a profession, the lactation consultants, to help to support, educate and advise women on, on the art of breastfeeding. Um, you know, they've had to invent a profession. It's like professional aunties and grandmothers that women have been deprived of, deprived of. You know, and, and that's why women end up feeling guilty and et cetera, et cetera. But it's not, it's not mother's fault. Don't feel guilty for Christ's sakes. Get angry. This was robbed. If you read the history of how breastfeeding was robbed, I guarantee you'll feel f- furious because it was robbed. Mm. And it was robbed in every continent, in all countries. Yeah, it was well marketed, was- wasn't it? <laughs> extremely aggressively marketed and unbelievably dishonestly marketing. I mean, bold-faced, flagrant lies of the worst kind. Mm. The the, the most um, nefarious marketing tactics you could imagine. Stuff that I I would leave those tactics to drug pushers in the street. It was pretty brutal back then. That was around like DDT and all those sort of things that were happening in that time too, or even before that it was happening. But Yeah, well, the only difference being that sometimes there's a genuine reason why you need formula and it's a, it can be a life-saving thing. You know, there is that tiny minority, so, you know, then, then what a blessing. Or sometimes mum is so sick or whatever, you know. It's a blessing that, that formula exists and that, you know, the science of it, you know, makes it better and better and better and reduces the health hazard involved. So, but to make it global like that, that has been, I think, an enormous human rights abuse that that was done. I know there's this huge divide that we just can't seem to meet in the middle. It always has to be something versus something, like breast versus bottle or home birth versus hospital. And when you have one or the either, then you're thought to be against the other, if that makes sense. Like if you're a lactation consultant, you're thought to be anti-bottle. If you're a home birther, you're thought to be anti-hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I find that really, really tiring, tiring, that kind of either or, anti, anti, anti. It's just become like a really neurotic kind of argument. Mm. If... if, um, so, um, but I'm just looking in yeah. terms of like the aggressive marketing of formula companies. It, it's still playing out, isn't it, in our modern world that especially with social media that we have these little agents here and there that are just fueling the anger and cre- keeping that divide going. Um, yeah, know, yeah. I mean, they get they, there is a. Um, um, like an international agreement uh, on on the um, marketing of baby formula, uh, sponsored by World Health Organization and UNICEF, and uh, the formula companies keep on, um, you know, finding their way through the cracks and, you know, doing it indirectly and subtly, and um, you know they're not going to let go of their. It's a massive cash cow, pardon the pun, but 
it's a gigantic cash cow, mm. uh, you know, and they've got shareholders to please. The, 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 where this gets very, very muddled is that um, when lactation consultants come to help mothers, um, there's a reaction that happens in which mothers end up feeling guilty. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, they're angry and they called the breastfeeding counsellors. Uh, the common name is breastfeeding Nazi. Yeah, I've heard that one, yeah. Yeah. I've heard it maybe ten thousand times. It gets um, it's like a war. Mm. So or, or uh, I've heard lactivists yeah. as well, which is yeah, yeah, in a very negative kind of connotations okay, around. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that the mere mention of the information then becomes explosive. Mm. Um, and that, you know, mothers oh, and and really, mothers have been caught between these two worlds. You know, there's lots to be said about this and it really, when it comes to mother guilt, we could spend a couple of hours talking about it. It's it's a very, very important, um, very, very important issue. Um, And then also mums get trapped in countries like Australia where, you know, Australia is one of the the most ungenerous countries when it comes to um, uh, paid maternity leave. It's got one of the lowest provisions in the entire developed world. Um, you see, the, a country like Sweden has got twice the breastfeeding rate, but Sweden will pay you as a mother um, whatever you were earning before you gave birth, uh, 80% of what you were earning, the government will pay it to you from taxpayer revenue for 18 months. Yeah, that, and yeah. Uh, you can you hang out with your you know other friends who have children and um, – uh, but not have to go to the workplace and not fear for your mortgage yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, and you can then extend it to three years under in a lower rate. So, you know, you, you can't just say to mums, breastfeeding is better. I mean, scientifically, it just is. But you can't just say that and then not provide the real-life support So because it's not just easy. It's not just easy, just like that. Yeah. Uh, you, you have to feel like you're safe enough to be able to settle into to, uh, regular breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, th- it's a whole generation that most mothers were either not breastfed or breastfed very, very little so that there isn't much of the body memory of that. Mm. So, you know, you know I, I can, I'm not surprised that a lot of the mums – feel very angry when the advice comes, yeah. you know. Um, but, you know, in, 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 in the deeper sense, this is not mother's fault. This was stolen and it was stolen by commercial interests. Mm. Uh, it's another area in which mums have been, mothers have been kind of um, separated from uh, the maternal supportive world, divorced from the grandmothers and the aunties and the elder women who are there to help in a genuine way. Yeah. Um, it also helps when, you know, the very act of breastfeeding has been quarantined. How often do you go outside and you're walking down the street and you see mothers breastfeeding? Even now, you hardly ever see it, even now. 
Yeah, yeah. It turns, people still get squeamish about it. I mean, that's yeah. that's another insanity. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it, it's not normalized. It's not normalized. There is all kinds of body issues around it. You know, if you grow up in a world where every day you see mothers breastfeeding wherever you go, you know, that has a very profound effect in how you relax into that when it's your turn. But mums are kind of um, cut off from that. Yeah. You know, the first act of breastfeeding you might see is your own. How the hell is that supposed to work? Yeah, yeah I can really relate. Like I had no exposure to birth, breastfeeding, um, growing up in my teens, my mm. 20s, nothing. Like I, when I was first pregnant, I had no idea what birth meant or what breastfeeding really was until I breastfed my own baby. So I probably had never really even seen breastfeeding happen or anything like that. So I had no concept of that as being something that I grew up into. And they're just – that's – I mean, again, it's that shame we that we've carried through is in our childhood from our parents and our parents' parents and that – just goes on and on and and dads as well and, uh, dads yeah. dad, dads yeah. are really there's a lot of dads that i work with and that are quite confronted by by they you know when when their first baby's born and they find it difficult when their wives are breastfeeding mm. yeah um there's all kinds of deep kind of issues that come up including jealousy mm. and um your dad's just are prepared for this yeah. um you know, we have been divorced from the reality of what it is to have a baby in the house. You know, um, so, you know, dads get shocked and, and they, they get upset and they say, listen, you haven't given me much attention lately. And by the way, that was my breast to suck. <laughs> exactly. You know, maybe that baby's had enough. He's already been drinking from your body for three months. That'll do. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, back to get me. Him, get him off. That, yeah. that, that, was, that was my place before. Yeah. yeah. My place at your breast. Catching up with the breastfeeding that I didn't get when I was a baby, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, all of those feelings are very subterranean but very powerful. And yeah. they, they become more powerful when we don't acknowledge where those feelings really come from. And... Um, uh, I can't tell you how many dads find that kind of difficult. And and then there's irritability and conflict and it, it's tragic, mm. tragic. Um, uh, it, it puts a wedge between mums and dads. Um, um, and dads start agit- agitating for the baby to, to be out of the uh, bed and be out of the baby to be out of the room. Um we're very, very confused about what a baby actually wants and needs and how to have our own happy life with a baby in the house mm. so that it's not, you know, us against baby. Yeah, and that's for everything, isn't it? This versus this. It should never be that. We need to find that balance within. Well, that's where that's where you know elders can. We, we need our elders to show us how to do that. We need grandmothers and grandfathers to come in and say, um, "Look, I've been through that. I can help you. You look tired. Let me hold your baby while you sleep." Yeah. Um, 
gosh, if you guys want to make love, then maybe your bedroom is not the only place where you can be intimate uh, while your baby sleeps. You know, come on. There's um, the messy reality and the lovely, beautiful reality of family relationships. Everything's become so, I think, in the modern world, so kind of boxed. Uh, and unnecessarily so, and gosh, families just splinter and fragment uh, a, a, as a result. Yeah. So, um, you know, we need those role models of families that maintained a loving, you know, where the parents maintain a loving and intimate connection. Of course, sexuality will be less frequent for a while for most people. I think that's inevitable. We get tired. Um, uh, we need role models that that have have some experience at how to make those, all of those, uh, all of the different intimacies live gracefully around each other where there's enough sleep and there's enough closeness uh, and where we all have our feelings heard, baby, mom and, and, and dad. It's doable. It's kind of a dance and, and it's not, there's no military order. I promise you that. It's messy and chaotic and unpredictable, but okay yeah. and beautiful. But we do need elders who, who know how to hold that space to talk us through it, particularly when it's our first time. Yeah. I really believe in elders, I tell you. Yeah. I, I guess I've, you know, I've, uh, I've raved on about that, haven't I? But it feels very, very important to me. Yeah, me too. I wholeheartedly yeah. agree too and I'm yeah. um, always in my journey am seeking elders. Robin, I want to wrap it up with just quickly mm-hmm. your book, um, Heart to Heart Parenting. And I know it's your second one. Um, and I, I was, you know, just reading here what, what precisely we talked about. You've written here a case study about Jill. You know, she was told that she's got the perfect life. She's got the house, the husband, and she should be happy. And you always resonated with this feeling that something wasn't quite right and wasn't connecting probably to her children and feel a lot what's happening in our parenting journey and um, I quite resonated with that and I'm really enjoying reading this book. Yeah, Ali, I mean, quite simply, my experience is that we're we're, primarily creatures of connectedness and yes, we do want, you know, security and, 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 and just a basic kind of prosperity. We want a roof that we know that we can rely on and we want security of food and a place to have our kids be educated but our greatest most primary need is about connectedness and we feel connected when we're part of more than just a nuclear family but something larger a community and that there's people in our lives that that we feel emotionally safe with that emotional safety is what creates connect that deep that state of connectedness that we feel in our guts and in our hearts. We can't do without that. We can't. We don't. We get angry. We get sick. We get lonely. We get empty. And there's lots of people that say, look, I've got all the trappings. I've got the right house and I've got, you know, the right cars and my kids have both arms and legs on and, uh, you know, therefore I'm happy. Well, I'm not. I have the trappings of happiness. You can have all of that. You know, I know people that have shared a bed their whole life and still don't know one another. So we need to re-find 
when I say we, that's not true for everybody, but there's a great kind of epidemic of disconnectedness that is not it's optional. We absolutely don't need to live that way. There's nothing to say that we have to be disconnected from one another. We th- we thrive on that, and we don't pay enough attention to that collectively. We need people to know how we feel. We need people around us that that uh, that we feel their empathy, and we we need to hear how other people feel. That that's um it's how we communicate emotion and, and feeling. All of the emotions, um, the two-way, two-way street of communicating feeling authentically, that's the currency of connectedness. That's when we feel close. Um, and that's a rhythm for human beings. We want to be alone connecting with ourselves sometimes. We want space. Sometimes we just need to be among nature. And then it's a rhythm. It's like we hunger again for contact. And um, and we need that, and we've lost how to do that. We've lost the fluency of of that, and we've we we are very tragically and very dangerously lost connectedness um, by artificially creating a world that's about the busy hurry. How much of the day do we spend being in a hurry, being complaining we're too busy? accepting that as if it's normal and instead of living and feeling the moment, completely injecting ourselves into a future outcome that may or may not arrive. It's like living for the retirement plan. You've heard this complaint many times, worded differently, I'm sure. I guess what I'm trying to say is that we simply can't do without that, that experience of connectedness. That's why sometimes people that have very little are radiantly happy because if you're relatively poor materially, but as long as you're, you have enough, but if you are feeling really uh, loved in your community and, and there's singing and there's dancing and there's contact and there's feeling and emotion, you're going to be happy. I mean, you're going to be bursting uh, with happiness when that need is taken care of. So we've got a wee bit of reorganizing to do in, in, the, in the way that we um, set up the nuclear family uh, society. Yeah, it's a rhythm. We go, we go between needing space to needing contact and connection, and we do need more than just our nuclear people. You know, I mean, I, I, I absolutely um, I need a sense of village, a sense of community. I just love going down to my local uh, shops. The simple act of buying a loaf of bread and, 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 and having even some superficial chit-chat with people who know each other. We ask, How, how's the kids? It just um, it warms me up. Absolutely warms me up from the inside, having a little bit of familiarity with people, and and then beyond that, there's um, one one of the things that I that I really really uh, incredibly grateful is that I I uh, belong to a group of a circle of men, and we meet every two months. We sit in a circle. We're all um, I'm the baby in the group. I'm 55 years old. <laughs> uh, I think I'm the youngest or the second youngest. So they're all we're all I guess elders or near elders. 
and we sit in circle and no one fixes anybody. We tell story and we go right down to what counts for us, what we're, how we're feeling, what we're learning in our lives, what we're struggling with, what we're doing battle with. And um, it's a very incredibly rich, it's a whole day. We just talk all day. Sounds wonderful. And um, listen to each other a lot. A lot, a lot. Listening is is just as enriching as as, as when it's your turn to speak. Yeah. And we spend no time, you know, very very little time in the in the superficialities. We we have break for lunch and we have a good laugh and we talk rubbish and, you know, whatever it is, uh, chit chat. But then we get down to brass tacks when we we sit back in circle in the afternoon. And I can't do without that. I, I need that level. And we only meet once every two months, but. You know, that essential, I do think we need people in our lives beyond family uh, where we feel held in that way. Yeah. And our kids benefit from that. Yeah. And this is where men need to step up, I feel, especially, you know, 30s, 40s and guide or even, and the elders too especially and yeah. guide these young teenage, pre-teenage boys um, where their first, and this is again that f- sort of feminine interpretation that can guide them into a space where their first realisation of what is normal with a female um, as opposed to what it is now, they'll just go on YouTube and see girls with boobs out and men spanking them and, you know, that's a 14-year-old's first realisation of how to treat a woman. Um, we need more men's and women's circles we need more of these community circles where we can guide these young people to come through and create a better sense of what's normal and what a woman is and what a male is and what that means to each other as a young person and um the modern world i i think so i i think so i think so um uh, yeah yeah, I, i i hear you and and um you know, the, the, the porn industry is is almost comprehensively void of any tenderness, any any love, any any genuine warmth. Um, it's kind of an avoidance of human vulnerability, you know. Mm. It's about the the fragmentation of body parts. So it's quite it's like an abattoir, I think. Yeah. Um it's the fetishization of bits. And um, the effacement of human warmth and connectedness and, um, you know, I'm not against porn in principle, but the industry as it stands is um, an absolute catastrophe in terms of the imagery that it portrays. Um, What's another big cash cow again, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It, it's yeah. gigantic. It's gigantic. It's, it's, um, it's utterly... Um, Oh, wow, it's terrifying when you realise the the sheer size of of the of the beast. It's enormous. So, um, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a little bit of repair work. Yeah. Um, yeah. No wonder we're so misbehaved. Yeah. You know when when this is how we grow up. Yeah. And that that's why I'm, um, you know I I love this work. I love working with, um, you know issues of parenting and childbirth and and um, working with young people um, 
I mean, that, that is kind of a crucible through which we can create the new in a, in a very, very big way. It's not the only way to produce change in the world. There's many ways, but this is the one that I like and one that I feel is very, very powerful. Yeah. Um, and that's why I wrote my books and uh, that's why I do the work that I do. Um, and, and also, I, I really enjoy it. I mean, it's a kind of a conversational space that is deep, like with you right now. Uh, that's very, very satisfying for me. And uh, it's a mutual kind of an enjoyment, you know. Uh, we're not just talking sport and news, are we? We're talking something a little bit more, you know, uh, deeper, deeper strata of human life. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And I completely appreciate you spending this time too. There were so many points where I just got so excited and I just wanted to start talking and talking. It's been the longest 15 <laughs> minutes that, that – um... I, I think we've covered so much and we've left it open for interpretation for so many what's the What's the name of your show? Is it Around the World with, uh, with Ali Krantz? No, it should be. <laughs> the Circle of Birth. Circle of life entirely. Circle of life, I know. I should just change it to the circle of life now, I think. this. When I started this podcast, I was quite, you know, I'm obviously still going through some huge transformation, but back then it was post-birth of Julia because I had such a transformative experience and I wanted to share the story of the story. I wanted to share stories because I found it such a safe space for uh, people to share in an environment where they're just telling the story. So um, they're not trying to, you know, say this or that. It's just sharing their experience. But I feel I've had this huge layering peel back of all of what what does this really mean? What is it? And now I'm finding that I'm just talking about transformation in not just birth in a physical sense from a woman but transformation in people. I love that about when a child comes to your life, it, it, you know, you, you get completely recalibrated. I mean, the things that matter to you just get turned on their head, you know, and you have a new, much larger kind of a uh, outlook and um, suddenly you look beyond the smaller circle that you were focused on and and you start getting concerned about planetary things and, and that happens that kind of a quickening process happens to so many of us as parents, doesn't it? And somewhere I think that most of us sense intuitively without being able to kind of name it right, but we feel intuitively that there's something about how we give birth to our children and how we raise our children. That's how we decide the future of humanity, the destiny of humanity. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, it's, it's deeply personal and private and yet, at the same time, so political. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, 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 you can't separate childhood from politics because it's it's not separable. It's uh, all um, intertwined. So, no, you know, of course you think that way. Of course you start thinking about, wow, I want better things to happen for every childbirth and every, you know, every child and every parent, every mother, every father. This is how our children are growing us up. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. we were continually um, challenged to to open our hearts a bit larger and to learn new things. So mostly, what we make is mistakes with our children. Yeah. I think, yeah. you know, um, doesn't matter if you think you've written a couple of parenting books, you're in there making the same mistakes as everybody else. Yeah, 
and feeling the same regret and yeah. and despair and feeling stupid sometimes and um, uh, it's glorious and and messy and all at the same time and um, but it's not. I don't think we get broken from mistakes. I think it's really what we do with it afterwards that makes all the difference. Okay, yeah. uh, that's a really important thing to know. Yeah. Otherwise, you freeze. You know, with all the information that exists out there right now, people are terrified that you know if you yell at your child, they're going to be damaged forever. Um, and and you know, there's a different way to hold the parenting parenting information that's come out. Which is that, you know, now we understand more about why our children hurt. But, you know, hurt doesn't mean damage necessarily. Even a traumatic birth doesn't necessarily just mean you're damaged for life. What is really exciting is how connection heals. And that that it's never too late. What heals our hearts and heals our neurology and heals even our brain chemistry and what heals our gut health, because that's all interlinked, even our gut, is about human connectedness, right? How we come back to connection when there's been a rupture, that's what makes all of the difference. Exactly right. That's the story of parenting is half the time we get it wrong, but then there's room to come back afterwards and, and heal and connect and listen to each other, listen to what our kids have to say about us. Mm. Um, you know, say sorry if we, if we feel that, if, if that's appropriate. And, and just accept that it's, you know, we don't get it right. What we do is we grow. What we do is we grow. So... Um, there we are, Ali. And oh, look, I've really enjoyed. I've really enjoyed talking with you. I really appreciate that. Could you and, just uh, uh, yeah. tell us your website, and then everyone okay. can link to find your books? Okay. If you're listening and you use pens and pencils like people from the last millennium, <laughs> take your pen and pencil and hold it firmly in your dominant hand and pick a piece of paper. I'm giving you some time, <laughs> uh, or uh, or whatever you write it on your iPad. Um, on your smartphone. So it, it, here's, here's my website. It's basically it's ouremotionalhealth.com, except there's little hyphens between the words, just warning you. So it's our-emotional-health.com. But these days you don't need the address, do you? You can just Google things. Yeah, I'm sure if you start typing Robin, your last Rob, Google will be like, "Did you mean this?" <laughs> Robin Grill, yeah. Robin Grill, our emotional health, yeah. and 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 your favorite search engine. We'll figure I'm it not, out. <laughs> I'm not going to give all of the power to Google. Yes, yeah. Like they can bloody well pay their tax. Yeah. So whatever your Ecosia is, a, I think is called a really good search engine. Uh, they plant trees with their proceeds. Awesome. Yeah, and you and you uh, so search Robin Grill our emotional health and you come to my website. Um, and, and don't do what I did and I spent yeah. like ages typing this in on page 12 of your book you um, forgot to put the hyphen in between emotional and health. <laughs> so it's like r hyphen emotional health one word dot com. And what happened? Did that's, you, you that's my little mistake that I found there. <laughs> and you couldn't find my website? No, and it didn't find it because no, I was trying to oh. do the, the, the emotional intelligence quiz. I was trying to get that up. 
that's that's cruel. That is. Yeah, it is cruel. Okay. It was cruel. There's there's also um, uh, my blog is hearttoheartparenting.org. Ah, oh, great. Yeah. And that's all one word: heart to heart, heart to heartparenting.org. And uh, I've got all kinds of stuff in there. Um, just little things to read about the state of affairs for the world's children and how child-rearing reforms are changing the world. And um, I announce whenever I'm running public workshops, I put it in there. And and then, you know, the world is moving into virtual reality. And, you know, so there's a lot of my stuff up on um, YouTube and uh, podcasts like your terrific one and um, – there you go, an absolute abundance of um, of info. Thank you. <laughs> Great talking with you, Ali. Yes. Thank you. Did you connect with this episode? Then head over to our website, circleofbirth.com. There you'll find show notes, pictures, resources, and potentially connect with today's storyteller. Don't forget to sign up to be updated with new empowering episodes and content. Help the show grow by contributing a tip in the jar to make sure we can continue to better the podcast and connect more and more to the wisdom and birth and each other. Hey, and don't forget the iTunes rating. This has been another episode of the Birth Share Project. We breathe, we birth, we empower. We empower.